Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. Last week, we started a new sermon series going through the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible with you today, go ahead and open up there. We'll be camping out in Jonah chapter one. Uh, If you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'll have verses up on the screen. But if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one. We'd love to give you one as a gift because we believe that there is power and transformation in in the pages of this book because God has given it to us for that very reason, to show us himself and to transform us. So if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Just stop by the Connection Corner or guest services on your way out, and we will, we will get you hooked up with one of those. So last week, last week, Kondo kicked off this sermon series by introducing us to a man by the name of Jonah. Now, God chose Jonah to be a prophet, someone who relays God's message to people for him. So it, it stands to reason that Jonah was, generally speaking, probably a good God-following guy. I mean, God probably wouldn't have given that role to somebody who's just not following him at all. So God gave Jonah a mission then and a message at the beginning of Jonah chapter one. God said, go tell the people of Nineveh that I have had it with their wickedness. And if they don't cut it out, I'm going to take them out. Now, when God alludes to their wickedness here, he isn't kidding. I won't rehash how cruel the Ninevites were. Kind of went over some of that last week, and I'm not sure many of us have slept well since then. But let's just say that they were more bloodthirsty and brutal than you can imagine. These were horrible, horrible people that took delight in doing horrible, horrible things. And God had had enough. Jonah, go tell them to cut it out or I'm going to take them out. Now, understandably, Jonah wanted no part of that mission. He wanted nothing to do with the Ninevites. So he ran. He ran to a port city named Joppa and he went down to the docks and paid some sailors to take him to Tarshish, which is a city that's both hard to say and as far as possible from Nineveh. Jonah gets on the boat, then goes down to the bottom of the boat where he runs and hides from God. But God was not about to let Jonah off the hook. So he sent this massive storm, a massive storm. And the sailors, they are panicking. They, they, go, they go and they pray to the different gods. They start throwing cargo overboard, making every effort to, sur- to survive this storm. And in the middle of all of this, Jonah is somehow taking a nap. The sailors, as, they, as they're running down into the, into the hull of the boat to grab cargo to throw it out, they, they, they come across Jonah sleeping among the cargo. And the captain wakes him up and, and begs him, begs him, call on your God that he might save us. And that's where Kondo left things off last week. Today, we're going to work through the rest of chapter one and talk some more about what it looks like when we try to run from God. And so we, have a little, and so we can get a little bit, bit better picture of what's going on here. We're actually going to start reading in chapter one, verse four, and move on from there. So here we go. Jonah chapter one, starting in verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down 
and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? What people are you from? Jonah runs and God sends a massive storm. The result is that the sailors are both afraid and struggling to keep this boat afloat. And so they cast lots. They roll dice to see who's to blame, to see whose fault it is that they are about to die in this crazy storm. But why are they blaming someone? This is a storm, right? Like storms happen, rain, high pressure, low pressure, dew points, stuff I learned in seventh grade and have since forgotten. Why are they looking for someone to blame? Well, part of this shows that their belief about how the world works. They had a lens that saw the spiritual reality behind what was going on. They believed that there was a spiritual reality going on behind everyday things. So they figured that someone was to blame for this storm because whatever God is throwing the storm at them is clearly not happy with someone. When the storm got bad, did you notice how the sailors responded? Yeah, in verse 5 it says that they started throwing cargo overboard, but that was not the first thing they did. The first thing it says they did was that they each cried out to their own God. Now, they weren't praying to the right God, but their first impulse was to pray. They prayed first and then moved on to trying to solve the problem themselves. So maybe we could learn a little something from these pagan Sailors, because too often we forget that there's more to this world than natural forces. We only think about the spiritual realm or talk about the spiritual realm as sort of a last resort. Like if there's any other explanation that, that makes sense of just with the natural world and order of things, that's what we go with. We, do, we don't think about the fact that there are spiritual forces. There's good, there's evil, God, demons that are active in this world. spiritual forces that we can't see or measure. And, and if I really remembered that, I, I am sure that I would be quicker to pray than I usually am. That I would be more like these sailors and that I would pray first and then go to try to solve, solve my problems. So part of the reason these sailors looked for someone to blame was because they were more aware of the spiritual realm than we typically are. But also, there was something different about this storm. We need to remember that most, if not all, of the men on this boat would have been experienced sailors. This was their job. This isn't the first time that they've run into some big waves or some rocky seas. This isn't the first thunderstorm, but this one was different. Once again, like check out verse 5. It says, All the sailors were afraid and started throwing cargo overboard in hopes of surviving. All the sailors were afraid, every last one of them. It doesn't say just the newbies, just the rookies. All the sailors were afraid. 
And think about that. Like these are sailors. Their job is literally to transport cargo over the sea. So they are literally throwing their livelihood overboard in hopes of saving their lives. That is not something you do if you think you have options. That is a last resort kind of mood move. If they did that every time a thunderstorm blew, blew up on them, they would be out of business. Their business would not survive if every storm came across and they just started throwing things overboard. That makes for unhappy customers. So this storm, it was different and it struck fear in the hearts of these men. But praying to their non-existent gods didn't help and throwing cargo, their cargo overboard didn't help. None of it made any difference. And so they started rolling dice to see who to blame. And that pointed the finger directly at Jonah. No coincidence here. God was in complete control of the storm and he was in complete control of the dice. God pointed the finger at Jonah. And once that lot fell on Jonah, the sailors hit him with a boatload of questions and you can feel their panic as you read this. Who's responsible, who's responsible for this? What kind of work do you do? Where are you from? What country? What people? They unload these questions on Jonah and in verse nine, he responds. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. By saying, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, Jonah is stating that the God that he serves is the supreme God. He's the God of gods. He's the one true God, that there is no other God that matters. Jonah is declaring to the sailors that his God is more powerful and greater than any of their gods. But then he goes on to describe God in this really interesting way. He's the one who made the sea and the dry land. Well, bad news for Jonah. He's running away from the God who made the sea on a boat. This makes zero sense. Jonah says, I fear the Lord who made the sea while he's on a boat in the middle of the sea, running away from the God who made the sea. This is crazy. We see it now as we read back through the story, but it was also immediately obvious to the sailors. Verse 10, this, Jonah's answer, it terrified the sailors and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sailors see how utterly insane this is. And they clearly were not amused by it. Earlier, when it said that the sailors were afraid of how bad the storm was, that same word is used here, but now it's Jonah's answer that makes them afraid. They were afraid of the storm, but it escalates now, and now they are terrified because Jonah is running away from the God of the sea on their boat, on their boat. And they understandably yell, what have you done? Given the reputation of sailors, there may have been a few other choice words thrown in there. I'm not totally sure. That's just a guess. But these sailors, anyway, they, they have a clear picture of the situation. What Jonah did was dumb. Like, big dumb. So what is going on with Jonah here? How can he say, I fear the God who made the sea and then try to run from that God on the sea? 
But what we see in Jonah here is that running isn't rational. Running from God does not make sense. And it will lead us to things that do not make sense. And if Jonah had slowed down for two seconds, I believe he would have seen it too. We look at Jonah and we say, wait, how can you say that about God and then turn around and act totally contrary to that? But before we come too, down too hard on Jonah, I think we need to take a quick look in the mirror. Because what we proclaim to be true about God is not always how we live out things in practice. We say things like, I'm forever grateful for, to the God of grace but I will never forgive that person who betrayed me. We say, I worship the Lord of truth, but mm, you know what? Don't ask me about my taxes or my expense reports. God satisfies all my desires, except for that desire for validation from people online. I need God's love and their likes. I follow the Prince of Peace, but if you cross me, I'm coming for you. I belong to the Lord of love and I endlessly scroll trying to satisfy my lust. Our God is the God of encouragement. Man, I gossip behind people's back. I tear them down when they, when they aren't around. So before we pile on Jonah here, we need to acknowledge that what we proclaim about God and what we practice in our lives are often out of alignment too. We are a lot more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. Now, it's hard to say for sure, but it seems like the light switch goes on for Jonah right about the time that they're casting lots. It seems like once the lot falls to him, that he finally accepts the fact that he can't outrun God. He tried, he gave it his best effort, but he can't. Going on then, verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. The storm's getting worse, Jonah. What's the solution? You caused the mess how do we fix it? Jonah takes responsibility here. He says, the storm is my fault. And so you'll have to kill me. You'll have to kill me. Throw me into the raging sea. Now, the Bible doesn't say this specifically, so I want to tread lightly, but I find it curious that Jonah didn't ask them to try turning around and sailing back to Joppa so that he could get off and go to Nineveh like God had asked him to in the first place. Even this morning, I've driven here literally hundreds of times from my house. And this morning, I took a wrong turn. I hadn't had my coffee yet. Give me a break. But, but as soon as I realized that I was headed in the wrong direction... You know what I didn't do? Ah, oh, oh man, looks like I have to go this way. 
I didn't keep driving. I didn't keep going. I stopped, I turned around, and went back the right direction. So what if Jonah had tried that? What if when he realized that he shouldn't be going that way, he said to the captain, turn the boat around? Would, would God have called off the storm if Jonah had started sailing toward God's will instead of away from it? I don't know. Maybe it would have worked out, maybe not. Maybe God needed Jonah to go for a swim for some reason, but it seems to me that Jonah is set on avoiding Nineveh at all costs, even if it costs Jonah his life. It seems like Jonah would rather die than obey God and go to Nineveh. In verse 13, then we see how the sailors responded. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not the sea grew even wilder than before. The sailors rowed as hard as they could to get to shore, but it was useless. The harder they rowed, the worse the storm got. All their efforts were worthless because they weren't just rowing against the waves and the wind. They were rowing against the will of God. And that's not a fight you're going to win, as Jonah was finding out. These sailors, they saw the shore and they thought that safety was on the shore. So they row to try to get to safety, but they didn't understand that the best place to be is not safe on the shore. The best place to be is in the center of God's will. Even if that takes you to some scary and unsafe places like Nineveh. God's will is the best place for any of them, for any of us to be. So God kept them from getting to shore by making the storm even more intense than before. And so, verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The sailors stood off here, calling out to God, asking him to be merciful to them because they're about to take Jonah's life. And that makes sense. Think about the situation the sailors are in here, right? Like if this God whipped up this storm, this life-threatening, massive storm because of someone running from him, what do you think he's going to do if you kill somebody? They're nervous about what's going to happen. So then as a last resort, they pick up Jonah and throw him overboard. And it worked. It worked. God called off the storm and the sea grew calm. But while the sea grew calm, the sailors didn't. You catch that in verse 16? At this, at the calming of the sea, the men greatly feared the Lord. 
The sailor's fear shows up again for a third time. Same word used three times here, each time more intense than the last. First, they were afraid of the storm. Then they were terrified when Jonah told them he was running from God. And now they greatly fear God after the sea is calmed. Their most intense fear was not the storm, was not Jonah running from God. It was when the sea was quiet. Because they realized that the God of the sea is more powerful than the storm. And in response, they offered him a sacrifice and made vows to him. In other words, they turned from their other gods to the gods Jonah had told them about. The Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And oh, the irony is rich here. Because God used Jonah, who was in the middle of running away from God, to turn these sailors back to God. God shows up in this story with grace for all of the runners, including the sailors. And it may not seem like the sailors are runners, right? I mean, Jonah was the one using the boat to run away from God, not the sailors. I mean, they were just doing their job. They were just going about their normal lives. So let's take a look at the sailors for a second. As you read this this story, like they really seem like the good guys. They are the good guys. Like they did absolutely everything in their power to save Jonah. They threw their livelihood overboard. They dumped cargo into the sea. And then once Jonah said, the answer is to throw me in and you will be fine. They delayed. They started trying to row to shore instead. They were risking their own lives to try to stay to try to save someone else's life. And remember, this isn't just any someone else. They're risking their own lives to save the life of a guy who put their lives in danger to begin with. These are some good guys. They show up here with courage and strong morals and are self-sacrificing. But we can't forget what happened back in verse five. When the storm first came, It says, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. They all ran to their own gods instead of running to their one true God. They were runners. We see see how Jonah runs from God and we're like, Jonah, what are you doing? This is crazy. This This doesn't make any sense. But then we read about the sailors each crying out to their own God and we kind of move on without blinking. But if they were running to a different God, they were running away from the one true God. And yet God was here with grace for them too. And here's the point. Running isn't always ugly. For whatever reason, as Christians, we, we, we seem to have come up with this undefined list of things that means someone is, that someone really needs Jesus. Right? Like, like we see someone who's making a wreck of their lives. They're making terrible decisions. They, 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 they're going off the deep end. They, they're caught up in all kinds of problems and issues. They're destroying relationships along the way. And, and we see them and they think, man, they really need Jesus. 
But then there's that nice family who lives in the nice house in the nice neighborhood with their two and a half nice kids and their nice dog and their nice picket fence and they drive a nice SUV to their nice job and serve on the nice PTO. And, and you know they believe that it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's just important that you're a nice person. Isn't that nice? And we, we see these people, we know these people, and, and we don't usually think of them as needing Jesus as much as the person who's making a wreck of their lives. But all kinds of runners need God's grace because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need God's grace. These sailors needed God's grace even though they're the good guys. And God gave it to them. They didn't even know that they were running. And God gave them his grace. God chased them down with his grace anyway. And they turned to him. So, so we need to make sure that we aren't putting things out of order, that we, that we aren't fooled by niceness. We aren't fooled by people seem to have it all together and so they don't need Jesus. No, we need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We all need God's grace because we are all runners. We've all run from him. So these sailors show us that all runners need God's grace and God offers his grace to all runners. Meanwhile, after Jonah went overboard, the sailors presume he's dead, but what happened to him after he hit the water? You know, Jonah was sinking into the depths of the sea and he had, he had run from God and it led to this. It led to this watery grave. Now imagine for a second, you could step back in time to the day before God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. The day before Jonah decided to run. And imagine you had gone to Jonah and prophesied to this prophet. Imagine you told him, very soon, you'll be asking people you don't know to throw you into a raging sea because you'd rather drown than obey God. Can, can you imagine what Jonah's response would be? He would think you had lost your mind. He would not have recognized your, himself in what you just described. But running does that. It leads us to things that we never thought we'd be capable of. Jonah would have thought that you had lost your mind. And yet, here he is. He's running from God's will, and it led him to do all of these things he never thought he would be capable of. And now he's about to drown in the middle of the sea. And it seems like the story should be over at this point. It seems like you could talk about this as Jonah, a cautionary tale of how running from God ends in tragedy. But the book isn't over yet because God wasn't done yet. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Jonah was as good as dead, and then it got weird. Can you imagine what would have been going through Jonah's mind as he was being swallowed by that fish? Like, oh my word, I thought I was going from bad to worse, right? A fish, really a fish? Yes, and not just any fish, but a gargantuan fish. A fish so big, it could swallow Jonah whole and then house him for three days. This is like a dorm room sized fish. And the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and lived inside a fish, not just for a few minutes, but for three full days and nights, it's such a crazy plot twist. It's so amazing. It's so unexpected. It's so sensational that we will totally miss the point if we keep talking about the fish. So forget about the fish. Forget about the fish. Forget about it. Because the other part of the verse is the best part of the verse. The Lord provided. The Lord provided. Remember earlier when I said it was bad news for Jonah that he was running from the God of the sea on a boat? Well, that bad news for Jonah was actually good news for Jonah because the God of the sea that he couldn't get away from was also the God of grace who provided. The Lord provided for Jonah even in the depths of the sea. Jonah had run as fast and as far as he possibly could and God provided. Jonah had reached the bottom, the absolute bottom, and the Lord provided. Jonah was seconds from death and the Lord provided. God provided that fish that we aren't talking about to save Jonah's life, even though he didn't deserve it. And that's exactly what we mean when we use the word grace. God providing good for us when we don't deserve it. God providing good for us when we don't deserve it. For Jonah, God didn't just provide that fish we still aren't talking about to save his life. He also provided someone to save Jonah's soul, someone to pay for Jonah's sins and make that runner right with God. The Lord provided, the Lord provided Jesus to pay not just for Jonah's sins, but the sailor's sins and Nineveh's sins and your sins and my sins. The Lord provided grace for all the runners, for all of us before we even knew we needed it. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still running, while we were still resisting God and going away from his will, God put his love on display by providing Jesus for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for Jonah, who made a conscious decision to run from God. Christ died for the sailors who didn't even know they were running from God. Christ died for the people of Nineveh and all the horrific, brutal things that they did and delighted in. And Christ died for you and all of your sin and me and all of my sin while we were still running, while we were still sinners. God provided, the Lord provided. That is the beautiful part of this verse. It looked like it was way too late for Jonah and the Lord provided. And that's something we have to remember because sometimes we give up on people because we believe the lie that someone who's complete, who is completely convinced 
that something other than Jesus is true and best, that they will never change their mind. Sometimes we believe the lie that someone is so bad that they could never be changed. The things that they've done are so bad they could never be forgiven. We believe that someone is so strongly entangled in their sin, their sin is such a stranglehold on them that they could never be free. We believe those lies, sometimes about other people and sometimes about ourselves. But if you hear nothing else from this entire sermon series, hear this. You cannot outrun God, which means you cannot outrun his grace. And neither can anyone else. You can't get away from God, which means his grace can always reach you. That thing that was a horrifying thought to Jonah, I can't get away from God, I'm trying to run from God, was the thing that he needed most, and that was God. To show up and provide for him. Do you believe that God's grace can reach anyone? Do you believe that God's grace can change anyone? The story of Jonah shows us that, that it can. And that should give us such confidence as we go out and tell people about the love and the grace of God that is available to them, no matter what they've done, no matter where they are, no matter how far they've run. So don't give up on that coworker. Don't give up on that classmate who has no interest in God. Don't give up on that friend or sibling or child who has been running as fast and far from God as possible. Don't give up on that nice neighbor who's just living a nice life without Jesus. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing the love of Jesus with them because God's grace can reach them no matter who they are, no matter where they are. And if you're the one running, if you're the one running, know that God's offer for grace is for you too. His offer of grace is for you to, to receive the forgiveness that you know you don't deserve because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It is not too late to turn and to receive God's grace and be welcomed back into his arms, into his love. God has grace for all kinds of runners and is eager is eager to welcome you back. So let's have confidence in the grace of God. God, we thank you so much for your grace to us. We thank you so much that we cannot outrun you, that we cannot hide from you. We try as we might, God, we cannot get away. And you won't let us go. God, we thank you that we are never beyond the reach of your grace. We are never beyond the forgiveness of your son. So God, we cry out to you again today and we confess that we need your grace each and every day. We thank you, God, so, so much that you're the God who provides and you provided your son for us. 
So God, we, we lift up his name now. We lift him up now and praise you for being the God of all grace who chases down runners like us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.